welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 143. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by the man who's got some big magic for us. It's Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. What an exciting moment you and I have ahead of ourselves today. The magician of creativity that we're going to be diving into. I know this uh, creativity series started with uh, a little bit of flow, but interestingly enough, in this episode, Mark, I think we're going to face our creative fears. That's right. If in show 142 with Mihai Chink sent Mihai and the idea of flow as our foundation, Mike, getting ourselves into the right headspace to think and work and be creative. Today, episode 143, we have Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic creative living beyond fear. I mean, Mike, it's pretty exciting, this topic, as we're within halfway through our creativity series to now start understanding how can we unleash the creativity that we might have within ourselves. I know, and this Elizabeth Gilbert is a bit of a creative powerhouse herself. So I think she's got every right to speak about creativity because she was also the author of Eat, Pray, Love, which became obviously a famous uh, movie starring Julia Roberts. And what's really interesting about her approach and why she is so perfect for us is she's really getting into the habits and the practices of how we can unleash creativity. And what's really interesting is her anchor point is how for many of us, it fear is the big blocker to us unleashing our creativity. So I want to ask you, Mike, when when you hear creativity and fear together like this, is this like a natural combination? Is this new to you? How do you relate to it? You know what? I think the initial reaction I would have to that pair is it doesn't feel right. You know, uh, fear and creativity shouldn't go side by side. Instead, I'm thinking about flow again. Creativity, Mm. it's running through my veins. You know, paint is coming out my fingertips (laughs) or music's coming out of my mouth. You know, I I think there was a natural connection that I would have always had with just fear, uh, with creativity being a free-flowing thing. But I think what's fascinating about Big Magic is, as you've already said, Mike, there is that connection with fear that I think holds a lot of people back. I think you're right there. And I think that's why the book was so successful and why she's gone on, you know, to produce, uh, you know, more than one hit. So she's, she's the authority when it comes to creativity. And in this show, we're really going to explore the role that fear has with our creativity. I think we're going to challenge ourselves, both you, me, Mark, and all of our listeners on how we are going to experience creativity, the role of getting through those blockers, the doubts, the uncertainty, or just being plain old resilient, sticking to your creative practice. And uh, we've even got a few tips on how to really polish up your creativity. And I think uh, we can do all of this with a smile on our face because one of the big things that Elizabeth Gilbert helps us with is to learn how to not only embrace the challenge of the process but not take it all too seriously so we can roll up the sleeves, get in there and enjoy bringing out that creative talent that I believe resides in every single one of us. So I'm, I'm really delighted to pull this show together and I think it plays a huge role in our creativity series, doesn't it, Mark? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think that's a perfect setup. So Mike, why don't I set you and I and our listeners up with a clip from Elizabeth Gilbert herself telling us what is big magic and why fear shouldn't stop you creating. What was the big magic that inspired big magic? What inspired you to write this? You know what it is? It's a response to years of being out in public, talking to people who tell me about the projects they want to be making and are not making, the things they want to be doing and are not doing. And and oftentimes when I'm in public, I meet people who are making and doing really cool things and they want to tell me about it. But mostly it's people who aren't. And when they come to me with their problems about creativity or their struggles with creativity, because they know I love to talk about creativity, (laughs) I find that they always have some sort of very rational, reasonable kind of material, real real world reason why they're not doing it, Mm -hmm. um, that they can lay out as an explanation. But when you start to scratch away at that, what's underneath it is always and only fear. 
Yes. Always and only fear. I don't care what the excuses or the rationalization or the justification for why they're not doing the thing that's calling to them. At the bottom of it, they're afraid. They're afraid they don't have the talent. They're afraid they don't have the right. They're afraid it's already been done better. They're afraid they'll be rejected or insulted or criticized or worse ignored. <laughs> they're afraid there's no point. There's afraid, you know, they, they just have these like tumbling piles of fear. And I see it so much and I hear the same questions again and again that I finally just thought, well, let's officially talk about this. Yes. You know, like let's actually really break this down and try to figure out how people can live more creative lives without being so scared. So, um, not being scared, Mark, this is something that I relate to not only with creative pursuits. What's interesting is I listened to that clip. I, I think that's something that holds us back in so many of our pursuits in life, whether it's on the sports field, in the boardroom, or just at home, or being social. Like I think we're all held back by what Elizabeth Gilbert called being scared, this fear of failure, the, the pointlessness, you know, all that negative thinking that stops us from making that step forward. And I, I like how she said basically she meets a ton of people who all talk about they've got plans to do things, but they're not happening for whatever reason. But underneath all of that, there's one reason, and that is fear. That is why they are not pursuing their creative talent their creative challenges and their journeys, it's fear. We can have all the excuses in the world, right? There wasn't enough time. I didn't have the thing to do the other thing. But if you really wanted it, if you really could deal with that fear, you would push through and make it happen, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I think you. there's a natural inclination in my mind to look towards excuses for reasons why I haven't done something. And it will be the classics. It'll be not enough time, not enough resource, not enough patience, maybe. And it's quite confronting to hear that actually fear is what underpins all of those. But I think, I think Elizabeth's correct. I think ultimately, if I'm not afraid of, you know, putting myself out there and not being noticed or putting myself out there and being ridiculed, I would go out and make that time. I would be able to, you know, put aside all of those other blockers, logistical blockers, and still go out and, and create. And yeah, I, I, I totally believe Elizabeth's correct here. Fear is what underpins a lot of the roadblockers that we might run into, both at work, in our careers, mm. as well as personal lives. Fear mm. is the thing that we need to, to try and get over. Yeah, and I think now that we have set this kind of context that the real blocker is not this sort of the excuse stuff, but it's this more fundamental issue of embracing the fact that it's going to get a little uncomfortable, that we're going to have to stick with it. Maybe it won't be perfect the first time, you know, all of these great lessons. If we can present ourselves to those blockers, to those challenges, if we can say, okay, it's actually great that I'm experiencing some sort of fear, doubt, anxiety about a creative pursuit because that would suggest I'm stretching myself, I'm challenging myself. And here's the good news, Mark, for you, for me, for all of our listeners, we have got a playbook in front of us in this show where we're going to learn how we can kind of get inside this idea, how we can embrace the idea and hear some of the important habits and rituals we can build in so that we can truly pursue what our creative talent is calling us towards. And I, I, th I firmly believe, Mike, that everybody has creative capacity, yet most people never truly explore it. I mean, what do you think? Do you believe when you look around the people that you know, do you see creative potential in them that they're just not tapping? Yes. And I think it'll come down to, uh, much like Elizabeth's calling out in that first clip, the logistical reasons that people don't want to do it. Oh, I, mm. I don't have time with my day mm. job mm. or I don't know how, I don't, I'm not very good at grammar, whatever it is, yeah. there's going to be things that are, are going to block them. But again, this idea of fear, I think is actually that main 
challenge that people have. Mm. And hopefully by the time that we, we end this show, Mike, you and I, as well as our listeners are going to have a little bit more in our repertoire to go mm. out and tackle that fear and try and go and create from our, from our days onwards. And, you know, I have to make a big call out. Uh, there's obviously some creative energy out there in the world. I was um, looking at, at uh, the listenership throughout the world and, Mark, we have such a remarkable listenership and a big shout out to all of you moonshotters that are tuning in. And I really want to call out at just a couple of countries where we've seen like a huge rise in listenership and it is just the most eclectic collection of folks. It's so cool. Let me hit you with this one, Mark. How about Bulgaria and Taiwan, where we've been rocketing up the charts there in the entrepreneurship podcast. Isn't that awesome to know that we've got people in Taiwan and Bulgaria listening in? Yeah, isn't that cool? You know, a couple, some people listening in their countries, checking out the Moonshot's work with you and I, learning out loud. I mean, that's a, a real confidence boost, you know, as we think about creating products, isn't it? Yeah, it's great for us. And and another 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 pair, Greece and Austria. So we got Southern Europe, we got Northern Europe getting in the mix there. And how about this? South Korea. And I think this is Mark, this is just testament to the fact that everyone wants to learn out loud together in an effort to be the best version of themselves, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That's given me a lot of confidence as you and I continue embarking on this creativity series and beyond, Mike. Um, I'm really pleased. All of those listeners who are joining us from all corners of the globe, welcome. And please continue listening as we learn out loud together. And there's another invitation that we've got, Mark, uh, to not only listen to the Moonshots podcast, which you're listening to right now, but we have the opportunity for you to join our ever-growing members. If you go to moonshots.io, click on the membership button, become a member, become a patron of the Moonshots podcast, and you will get access to what is it, Mark? What is the gem, the gold at the end of the rainbow if you become a member? Oh, drum roll, please. It is an exclusive, at least once a month, paid for episode from our Moonshot Master Series, where we dig into and share insights into how to improve yourself, your decisions, as well as your leadership capabilities. I mean, Mike, that's a membership that I want to be part of. Yeah, and the the, the real power of the Master Series is now that we have done over 140 shows, what we can do is pick a theme like first principles, like teamwork, like motivation, and we can handpick the best thoughts, the best ideas from superstars all around the world. So you don't just like in this case, we do a deep dive on Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, but we will have a podcast, the masterclass in creativity where we collect all the best together, but we also give you lots of practical tools, templates, and things that you can download so you can do it. So we sort of invert the Moonshots podcast when we do the master series. We actually try to make the definitive, or it's almost like effectively like the the podcast equivalent of the Wikipedia page, right? (laughs) You know, like we try and really capture the essence. It's like, if you want to be... Uh, if you want to get to the bottom of first principles, then it's our hope that the master series that we make is one episode that completely covers the topic. I mean, they're pretty epic, aren't they? Yeah, it's everything from understanding the the DNA, the foundations of it, understanding how we might be able to practice it day to day to fully understand it, but also, Mike, how to make it a habit. You know, that's totally. the most important thing with a lot of these themes and lessons that you and I are learning, it's how we can actually practice them from today onwards. Exactly. So no matter what your practice is, check out the Moonshots Master Series, which you can get if you become a member. And where do you go, Mark, to become a member? www.moonshots.io. Click on the member button and join us in our member series. So now I think it is time to unleash the creativity and we have to kind of get a little more comfortable with things that are uncomfortable. And that is namely failure and success. 
But the weird thing is that 20 years later, during the crazy ride of Eat, Pray, Love, I found myself identifying all over again with that unpublished young diner waitress who I used to be, thinking about her constantly and feeling like I was her again, which made no rational sense whatsoever because our lives could not have been more different. She had failed constantly. I had succeeded beyond my wildest expectation. We had nothing in common. Why did I suddenly feel like I was her all over again? And it was only when I was trying to unthread that. That I finally began to comprehend the strange and unlikely psychological connection in our lives between the way we experience great failure and the way we experience great success. So think of it like this: so you, for most of your life, you live out your existence here in the middle of the chain of human experience, where everything is normal and reassuring and regular. But failure catapults you abruptly way out over here into the blinding darkness of disappointment. Success catapults you just as abruptly, but just as far, way out over here. Into the equally blinding glare of fame and recognition and praise. One of these fates is objectively seen by the world as bad, and the other one is objectively seen by the world as good. But your subconscious is completely incapable of discerning the difference between bad and good. The only thing that it is capable of feeling is the absolute value of this emotional equation, the exact distance that you have been flung from yourself. And there's a real equal danger in both cases of getting lost out there in the hinterlands of the psyche. But in both cases, it turns out that there is also the same remedy for self-restoration, and that is that you have got to find your way back home again, as swiftly and smoothly as you can. And if you're wondering what your home is, here's a hint: your home is whatever in this world you love more than you love yourself. So that might be creativity, might be family, might be invention, adventure, faith, service, might be raising corgis. I don't know. Your home is that thing to which you can dedicate your energies with such singular devotion that the ultimate results become inconsequential. For me, that home has always been writing. So after the weird, disorienting success. That I went through with Eat, Pray, Love, I realized that all I had to do was exactly the same thing that I used to have to do all the time when I was an equally disoriented failure. I had to get my ass back to work, and that's what I did. And that's how, in 2010, I was able to publish the dreaded follow-up to Eat, Pray, Love. And you know what happened with that book? It bombed, and I was fine. Actually, I kind of felt bulletproof because I knew that I had broken the spell and I had found my way back home to writing for the sheer devotion of it. And I stayed in my home of writing after that, and I wrote another book that just came out last year, and that one was really beautifully received, which is very nice, but not my point. My point is that I'm writing another one now, and I'll write another book after that, and another, and another, and another, and many of them will fail, and some of them might succeed, but I will always be safe from the random hurricanes of outcome as long as I never forget where I rightfully live. What a beautiful way of expressing this. Experience that a lot of us go on、mm. when it comes to successes, but also to failures. Mike,、mm. I, I love the、uh, almost the imagery as we think about being successful. The blinding lights, great confidence, as well as the failure side、mm. of things becoming very dark and equally blinding. It's an interesting uh, connection uh, how both. Concepts, both failure as well as success, can actually be detrimental to us. And if we get off the path, trying to navigate our way back towards the thing that we're passionate about is is a challenge in either regard. Yeah, there's sort of two ideas that、uh, Elizabeth Gilbert gave us there. The one that you know, I think that failure is just part of the process. Right, and then the second one is always come back to that foundation. And what I think is really interesting is if you look at、um, some of the great moonshot people that we've covered, like recently Einstein. He he said, you know, a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. And so there is this interesting idea which I want to build upon a little bit here, which helps us accept failure. Which is the、um, it's the choice that we have. Like there's a choice of not doing anything new, not challenging ourselves, or challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves and stretching ourselves. That's a clear choice. And there's this interesting idea that the one who falls and gets up is actually stronger than the one who never tried. Absolutely. Yeah. So the capacity to build yourself up, and you might remember our Serena Williams episode. She talked explicitly that the greatest strength is that to pick yourself up when you failed and get going again. 
There are very strong uh, tones of that in our Michael Jordan series, but there's this really powerful thing of just saying, hang on, it's all part of the process, this idea of failing and making mistakes. So just accept it and then find your way home. Now, here's the thing though, to go to the second point that she had for us, how do we get to this it's kind of, it sounds a bit abstract what she's saying, this idea of home. How can we make this a bit more practical, Mark? Like when you've had a rough go, how do you kind of pull yourself back together? How do you get back home to the, to, to the foundation? Well, I, th- I think if I'm thinking about home being something that gives me, um, let's call it a joy de vie or, you know, an enjoyment of life, then I think it just takes a moment to step away from whatever the, 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 the situation that's quite stressful is and try and reestablish a bit of balance. So that might be through something quite practical or it might be through something a little bit more freeing. So something that I might do if I'm feeling a little bit uh, distressed from a failed project or a failed situation, maybe it's a bad meeting, maybe it's a bad conversation. What I might do is step away go for a run, mm. go for some outside fresh air and some uh, external stimulus. And I think for me, if I'm trying to, to take Elizabeth's recommendation here and understand what I love more than perhaps I love myself, I think it is this idea of um, nature, the great outdoors, the sky, the, the, the lawns, the sea. And I think that's a way for me to establish a bit of grounding or a bit of foundation when I myself feel like I'm exacerbating my, my fears. If mm. I'm getting a little bit worried about um, failure and I'm getting a little bit distressed by that, that's a way for me to kind of ground myself. What about you, Mike? What, what comes to mind when you're thinking about this idea of, of home? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's like such a great amount of tools for us all. I think. Um, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, just get out of the office, get out of the house, do something different. Um, you know, there's that great thinking that no crisis is really as bad as you think it is, you know? And so pause, change up the environment. I think that's like just an all-time classic. But once you go, okay, I've changed the environment, but I now need to deal with getting back home to who I am Getting back to my kind of creative foundation, for me, you might look to mantras, you might look to affirmations about what you know is true, about where your strengths lie. Um, You might want to try journaling. You might want to try any sort of exercise that helps you reinforce positive, constructive, honest thinking about yourself. And I think in particular, whenever we are presented with a creative endeavor that has gone wrong, ask yourself, well, what's really the worst that can happen here? What's the worst? I mean, we just had Elizabeth Gilbert, who's written books that have become, I think like her book, uh, if I remember right, it's been 200 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. This one, Big Magic. This is, we're not talking about Eat, Pray, Love. So this is like amazing that she has this capacity, right? And then she's like, you know what? The follow-up to Eat, Pray, Love, totally bombed. Totally bombed. And her frankness there, much like, do you remember that Jordan ad where he says, like, I've missed the winning shot like a hundred times? Yes, (laughs) You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, just accept that that phase part of the process. Accept that you have these innate capabilities And there is nobody who's perfect. I mean, if Einstein is the one that's saying, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not trying anything new. What we know from studying Einstein was he just spent more time on the problem being resilient until he cracked it. And he failed all the way up until he he got some amazing principles, some scientific breakthroughs that were preceded by days, weeks, months, maybe years of failure before he finally got the, uh-huh, right? And I think that this avoidance of accepting that you might fail, again, comes back to what I think is at the crux of Elizabeth Gilbert's 
book, Big Magic Mike, and that's about overcoming fears. And this next clip, which I think is a great uh, two-handed to what we're discussing, is actually reestablishing your relationship with fear. And let's now hear from Elizabeth Gilbert. Tell us that actually fear is your companion. I was wondering if you could speak to this idea of fear as a companion. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I have no desire to become a fearless person because the only genuinely fearless human beings I've ever met were psychopaths (laughs) or toddlers, you know, like, and neither one of those things is interesting for me to model my life after because there's something missing from that person that's very essential and you see it in the kind of like, weird eyes. You're like, wow, you are a dangerous human being to yourself and others. (laughs) And I don't want to be anywhere near you. And so I'm not interested in fearlessness. Somebody said to me the other day, tell us how you conquered fear. And I was like, I, it's adorable that you think I have conquered. Yeah. It's also like, I'm I'm afraid right this minute. I'm afraid like almost every minute of my life. Um, so I haven't conquered it and I'm not interested in conquering it. Actually, what my relationship with fear begins with is a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation because fear is the reason I'm still alive today. It's the reason you're still alive today. Every single one of us can point to a moment in our lives that we survived because we were afraid because they said, the thing, the voices said, get out of that ocean. The waves are too big. You know, this car is going too fast. Don't get into the apartment with that guy. Um, This street is not safe to walk down. All of us are here because our fear is constantly protecting us. That's its job. And it does its job beautifully. It's just that it's all jacked up on Red Bull. (laughs) And it's really trigger happy. And it doesn't know the difference between a genuinely dangerous situation (laughs) and just a little bit of a nervy situation, you know? So whenever I feel fear arise, which is constantly because I'm always trying to do creative things, and creativity will always provoke your fear because it asks you to enter into a realm with an uncertain outcome. And fear hates that, thinks you're going to die. So anytime I start a new creative project, the fear rises. And the first thing I do is say to it, thank you so much for how much you care about me and how much you don't want anything bad to happen to me. And I really appreciate that. Your services are probably not needed here because I'm just writing a poem. <laughs> like, no one's going to die. No one's going to die. It's okay. You know, and I just talk to it, but in this really friendly way. And I don't go to war against it. I acknowledge its importance. And then I invite it along. I'm like, you can come with me, but I'm doing this thing. Yeah. You know? I love the metaphor that you yeah. shared. It's like, fear's going to be in the car, Yeah, but it's going to be in the back seat. Yeah. And it's not going to drive. Or choose the snacks or hold the map or touch the radio. Like fear doesn't get to make any decisions in creative ventures because frankly, with all due respect to grandfather fear, it simply doesn't understand what creativity even is because that's a newer part of our brain. So it doesn't even know what's going on. So you can't let it have any control over your creative choices or else it will shut them down one idea after another. It'll just be like, nope, don't do that. Nope. Too risky. Nope. And it'll just be one now after another, and your life will be so much smaller than you want your life to be. Well, this is getting into the serious business of getting comfortable with fear, isn't it, Mark? This is really starting to challenge us, like, how might we kind of exist with something that traditionally we're triggered into this fight or flight thing? It's quite provocative to to really sit down and wrestle with this and say, okay, I'm going to make it part of my way of working. It just is what it is. And to me, Mark, what I want to pitch you is a really huge insight that I actually had not so many years ago, which is really the, the we're talking a lot about fear, but one of the great examples people give is people fear public speaking. But if you're something we've talked a lot about on the shows that if you're well prepared, you can switch between fear and excitement. And actually there's a whole body of work about turning fear into excitement. So Mark, what do you think of this idea that like fear and excitement are not that different? It's almost your attitude and how you're embracing it. That's really the difference here. And I think that the question becomes like, can you accept that idea and, and, should we brainstorm like on how we can turn fear into excitement? Because that's, that's going to unlock a lot of creativity, isn't it? The thing I love most when you and I are learning from some of these moonshotters are juxtapositions like this, where I'm challenged with my presumptions 
by actually seeing that two things are, are much more similar than perhaps I've realized before. And fear and excitement are definitely two such emotions that I remember, you know, doing drama when I was a kid and somebody putting this towards me and saying, okay, well, if you're nervous before a a show, that's good because it's, you know, it's your adrenaline, it's your, the butterflies are good, but it took me a long time. And maybe I I think I'm still learning to actually accept that that is true, Mike. I think it's Mm. enough as Elizabeth is showing us today. It's enough to put you off even giving it a go, even to stand on that stage to go and sing that song or whatever it is to go and do that work, create that business. Mm. Because you're you're worried about your physical, and I, when I say physical, I mean you know nerves in your stomach, uh, sweaty palms, <laughs> overactive imagination. That's mm. enough to put you off going out to try something new, and that's where fear comes in and, and attacks me. You know, if we're doing a project that I'm not so familiar with, that's something that will make me very very uncomfortable, and if anything, almost lead me against giving it a go. And I think that that is, as you've just put, that's just maybe a little bit of it. My brain overriding the idea of excitement by replacing it with the concept of fear. I, th- I think yeah. this is huge. It, it is because what we're getting into is rather than fearing of failure, rather than fearing that you can't do it, what you can say, how exciting is this? I'm learning something new. I can embrace this. I'm doing new creative practice whether you're writing, presenting, um, whether you're pursuing some sort of artistic output. I I truly believe you can be creative in all respects. Dare to cook a different meal. Dare to invite new people around to your house, whatever it is. So, So I think creativity is all around us and it's a choice for us to overcome those fears. So let's, let's do some, um, let's do some kind of practical, uh, little lists here about how we can, you know, um, embrace it. I think the first thing is we can start with our physiological Mm. uh, state, which is rather than like, you know, head down, you know, burying your head down negatively, like you can sit up straight, smile, right? This is something that you have complete control of. If that's not enough, I think you can move around. If you're feeling, uh, you know, fear or anxiety about a creative pursuit, move around. I love to stretch. I, you know, I stretch every single morning to awaken my body. But there are times where I'm like, I just need to create positive energy in my body. Mm-hmm. Move around, stretch. You know, this this kind of. Um, this kind of framing of your physical state, this is great because we all know our bodies affect our minds. And when, when I get to our minds, how about this one, Mark? Like actually say, I am excited about this new creative challenge. Like absolute positive affirmation, like state it because you can become those thoughts. You can become excited. I mean, these are just some rapid fire ways. What, what seems to be something that stands out to you as like a good practice to kind of transform that fear into that creative excitement? So I, I love the physical call outs you're saying there about moving around, uh, the smile. Those are the things that I genuinely do see affecting my mindset when I'm you know nervous about something. But actually, uh, I'm going to focus on the final point that you just called out there, which is the anticipation. You know, it's very easy to, uh, what's the right word? Catastrophize. It's very Mm. easy to catastrophize a situation and make it far worse than it really is. How, how regular do we, do we do that, Mike? I mean, I, Mm. I, I find I often, uh, have created this bad habit in my mind where I'll assume the worst situation. And then that affects the, the other work that I'm doing. Mm. which is crazy. <laughs> mm. And, and, you know, there's this, um, crazy thing that there's this body of work that shows that fear and excitement are like inside of our bodies. They're, they're actually the same thing. The same, the same biological yes. response. Yeah. Response. Yeah. Heart rate. Think about it. 
It makes perfect so, sense, doesn't it? So you, you're actually, once you go, oh, great, this feeling, I'm not going to translate this into a fight or flight response. I'm going to train myself to go, wow, I'm excited. I'm learning something new. This is how you can re-engineer the way you want to, to do that. And in fact, this is exactly what James Clear, who we've done on the show, would talk about, building these habits to help train yourself. This is a, an excitement response. I'm excited. I'm doing something new, new challenges, new boundaries, new learnings, new insights. Fantastic. Rather than, holy shit, I don't know how to do this. Mm. I mean, is there anything more creative than actually adjusting the way that your body and your mindset reacts to a situation, Mike? You know, that, that seems like a huge takeaway from Elizabeth Gilbert's work mm. by reestablishing and changing the way that you anticipate fear and instead thinking of it as your companion on a road trip mm. on the adventure of life. Fear is alongside you and actually maybe it's just excitement. Maybe it wears two hats. Suddenly it becomes a lot more approachable and a lot more fun to go yeah. out and give those challenges a go. Yeah, and I think there is a big body of work based off what Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about in Big, Mag big Magic. She's sort of saying fear is your companion, but to build on this into our practices and our habits is to specifically say, I am excited about this challenge. Mm. And do not underestimate the power of a simple mantra of saying, I am excited. I embrace, I accept this as opposed to that rejection energy, right? Because that's when you're rejecting it and say, Ooh, feels dangerous rather than exciting. Mm. You see how there's like that, like a very clear choice and this idea of saying I'm excited and really writing it down, saying it out loud is a way that you can re-engineer the way your habit is going to be. When you feel this energy inside of you, fear is just an energy, just like excitement. So you can just, you can be the conductor, the driver here. You can, you can take the right route, the excitement route and unleash creativity because then it's like, wow, let's explore rather than, oh my gosh, I'm just going to avoid mistakes because that doesn't lead you anywhere good, does it? No, it doesn't. And, and something that I like to try and remind myself is if I was saying to you, Mike, or our listeners, oh, I, I don't like this idea. No, this isn't for me. No, I don't believe it. No, I, I, I don't want to expose myself to this situation. Then, you know, I'm probably going to rub off on you to a certain extent. You know, it's going to be a negative environment. And I think if you're catastrophizing in your own mind and you're associating this, this fear with, you know, negative connotations, then you're going to breed it in, in, in yourself as well, aren't you? So by practicing these, uh, I, th I quite liked where you were going with the, with the affirmations, you know, this is going to be great. I can't wait for this new mm -hmm. challenge. Mm -hmm. by, by reinforcing those, you're almost rewiring your own reaction to things and you're creating a more positive mindset. I think it's, I think is this is a huge lesson in, in fear management that totally. Elizabeth is actually giving us. And Mark, let's just embrace it. It's not about fear management. It's excitement creation. Excitement creation, which ultimately is what big magic's all about, isn't it? Creativity. Yes. It is. It is. So now we've got it. We've done the hard yards, Mark, you and I, we've done the hard yards. We've got these foundational ideas about how we see failure and success. We've, we've become friends with fear. We, we, we know that it's just the start of creating the excitement mode, right? So we've got this baseline. We've got a fantastic opportunity now to go into the act of creation, of being creative, of unleashing new ideas into the world. And you know what? It doesn't have to be big and grandiose. It can be in anything that is around your life. We've got some great stuff coming up. And what I want to start with now, Mark, is I want to go into this idea of you're about to create and you might be tempted. You're in excitement, but you might be tempted to think, oh, this idea has been done before. But I want to put this to you, Mark. Do you think Apple, when they unleashed their creativity on the telephone, do you think they sat there and went, oh, we better not do an iPhone because, you know, 
the telephone companies have been doing phones for like a hundred years now. So I guess we shouldn't try and do something new. Did that stop them? It would be a pretty different world if it did, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Wouldn't <laughs> it? So, so I want you and all of our listeners, all of our moonshotters to kind of really kind of remember that we have such amazing capacity for creativity, for reinvention, reimagination. And the starting point for this is some thinking from Elizabeth Gilbert on originality and authenticity. One of the things I love that you shared, which I feel is a big subset of fear, is this idea, it's all been done before. I think it's the thing that I hear the most, both in my own brain and when I talk to everyone out in the world about their ideas or their businesses or their projects. There's this recurring narrative, everything's been done before. And I was wondering if you can speak to originality versus authenticity. Okay, cool. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, So whenever I talk to somebody who has an idea that they're tremulously excited about. Generally speaking, within the next two minutes, they will say, but, you know, it's not very original. It's already been done. And I always say, but it has not yet been done by you. (laughs) It has not yet been done by you. And the answer is, yeah, guaranteed it's already been done. Because (laughs) humans are really inventive and inquisitive and creative. And we've had 40,000 years of the arts and pretty much everything has been done, (laughs) you know? Um, And that's fine. Like even Shakespeare, half of his stories, he totally stole from older stories because there aren't that many new stories to tell. But he told them in a way that had never been told before. And then 500 years later, we're still borrowing them from him. We're all just borrowing from each other. And even the most original piece of creativity that you ever saw in your life, where you're like, that's groundbreaking. I've never seen anything like that before. Guaranteed, I could bring in like 10 professors and academics who could look at it and say, well, obviously this is somebody who had read this book or they had heard this symphony or they had or they were playing off of this or they were rejecting that. They're responding. All we do as humans is respond to stuff that's already come before us. But you're allowed to add to the pile. (laughs) You're allowed to add to the pile. And what I always say is whenever I look at art that's really original, I feel like I can admire it, but it doesn't move me. What moves me is the humanity in an authentic piece of creation where somebody was doing something, whatever it was, because they had to, because they wanted to, because it brought them to life, because it ignited their soul. That's what gives the shimmer of gold to something and makes me feel like my heart's been changed, my mind's been changed, the world looks different than it did before. So I don't care if it's been done. I don't care if it's been done 10,000 times. If you need to do it, do it. Oh, Mike, what a a welcome glass of cold water in in the creative world. I mean, how many times in your career, I, I, I know it's certainly true for me, have I caught myself either uh, talking about an idea with somebody or trying to put the finishing touches before sending something live and we think, ah, this suddenly doesn't feel quite as groundbreaking as perhaps it was. Maybe it's not the right idea. And suddenly you realize that it's kind of a narrative in your own brain, isn't it? Your your own worst enemy. <laughs> oh yeah. And to go, you know, beyond creative, uh, classic creative pursuits, um, just to build on like, oh, Shakespeare was just borrowing from a, like a ton of mm. stories that had already been written, which was very much the same point I was making about Apple. Think about something even more modern. Did Elon Musk say, oh no, you know, like the car has been, you know, the same way for, for centuries, like, oh, batteries. No, they've been the same way. I, I won't go for that. Mm. We're all, I mean, I love that, that thought. We're all allowed to add to this pile of creation because in the end, everything is a remix of something that already exists. So this gives us so much permission. There is no such thing as a bad idea because all the ideas have been done before. It's just how you arrange it. What's what's this, the new approach that you can bring to it? And I just simply love this. It gives us a ton of permission. It's like a it's like a big invitation. Get in there and have a go because even Shakespeare was borrowing from others. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that idea. Uh, and and you're right, Mike. It it does give me permission, but I think what it also gives me is is confidence. You know, it gives me that little bit of a kick uh, to think, okay, well, maybe that idea that I've been knocking around in my head for five, 10 years that I've never wanted to do because frankly, I'm afraid it's just adding to the pile. 
Hmm. Maybe it's time to actually revisit that. Maybe it's time hmm. to give it another go and not be so afraid of just adding it to a pile because at the end of the day, I haven't done it. And much like you were saying earlier in the second clip, when you go out and experience that fear or that mm. failure, you are growing. So the actual simple act of me putting out a short story or, a, or whatever it might be, a form of creativity, learning a new skill is me growing as, a, mm. as an individual because I want to expand in my repertoire of experiences that I've done in my life. So right. suddenly what I think Elizabeth's calling out here is an invitation to all of us just to go out and live our lives and not be so crippled by the idea that we're not doing something totally original. Yeah. I mean, it's like whatever your creative pursuit is, it doesn't need to be a, you know, Academy award winning Nobel prize winning idea in concept. What it just needs to be is your work do your thing, bring out your creativity. And whether it's something as simple as writing a poem about a sunrise, which is probably being done a million times, there is everything for you to gain by writing the one million and one version of that story. There's always new opportunities for you to create a new version, a new flavor, whatever your pursuit is. So don't get hung up on trying to have this insanely unique idea. Because if you look around us, so much success is people doing things that were already in the world, but just doing them better. And if Apple could hang its kind of whole business strategy, it's kind of that. They weren't the first to the phone or to the laptop or to the PC. They weren't the first. But when they do show up, they tend to bring something very different uh, to something that's kind of stuck down. Like think about the fact that they have an app store, which is a colossal business on its own. Forget the iPhone, the app store. That's like 10 other companies all in one. And this is that idea of just bringing your authentic self to whatever your pursuit is. Could you imagine Picasso sitting there saying, well, you know, I probably shouldn't try drawing, you know, a bullfight because that's been done a lot of times before, but it ended up being one of his best artworks. Again, again, we see this pattern. It's about what you bring to it, not whether it's been done before. Yeah. And, and even to go another layer on top of that, I think what puts off people from attempting to learn an instrument or pick up a paintbrush or, or write something down like a poem, as, as Elizabeth says, is because they are just adding to yet another growing pile of that particular medium. So imagine if Picasso not only said about the bull, but he just said, oh, there's no point in being a painter. There's loads of painters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or so, Elon said, no, ton of cars out there. We don't need any more. I'll, yeah, I'll I, you know, they'd been to space. So imagine Elon yeah. turning around and saying, oh, well, we've already done space. So maybe yeah. I should do something else, you know? No, it's, it's, this is really good because now that we've been given all this permission to jump in and have a go, we get to the next big blocker, the stumbling point, the gotcha, which is people sit there and they, this is what they do, Mike, they polish and they polish, they don't show anyone and they polish some more and they polish some more. Meanwhile, life is just ticking away, right? And it's this idea of perfectionism. I've been guilty of trying to polish something like way too much. Have you ever fallen in this trap, Mike? 100%. (laughs) Absolutely. There's been plenty of times when I will obsess over delivering something and it could be anything. It could be podcast. It could be a document. It could be just a conversation Mm. and you'll obsess over it so much that suddenly it either loses the ability to have an impact because you took too long or you, you end up, and this is perhaps more damaging. And Mike, tell me if you've experienced this, you talk yourself out of even delivering it in the first place. I know just (laughs) when it's like, you know, you're that close to getting it live And then you pull back and here's the great news. Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic, has some more inspiration, thoughts, and very good practices for us when we think about perfectionism and finishing. I want to go to um, the power of finishing Uh because you said something, uh, another genius gem from Big Magic, about, you know, 
I don't want it to be perfect. I want it to be finished. Yes. And that is another one of those things where I'll hear from folks. It's like there's, you know, 15 half-created bridges, half right. things that are just half done, and it tortures them, and they're right. afraid to start something new because they haven't really developed the habit of getting something out there, even if it's not totally perfect. Oh, man, this is a huge one. This is a really huge one for women because it's all rooted in perfectionism, yeah. which is, of course, the murderer of all good things. Perfectionism is just... It's a serial killer um, that just goes around killing joy, spontaneity, wonder, grace, humility. It just kills it all. Yeah. Um, and perfectionism, I think, is a particularly dangerous kind of fear. I always call perfectionism fear in high heeled shoes because it's fancy. It's like a really fancy haute couture version of fear because perfectionism can advertise itself as a virtue mm-hmm. and it can trick you into letting it think that it's, it makes you special yes. because people such high standards. Yeah, have such high standards. I'm like, I'm, look, I just can't rest till something. I'm a perfectionist. It's what people say in job interviews as their fault. Yeah. You know, like, well, I guess I just care too much, you know? And you're like, um, and you're like, wow, you're telling me, but what you're telling me when you say that is that it's going to be very hard for you not only to finish something, but probably to begin something. Because the true perfectionist won't even start because they know already that it's not going to be the thing that they can, they're dreaming of. And again, Mike, this comes back to what Elizabeth was teaching us earlier on, fear. It's the fear to go and give it a go because you're afraid of the final product not being perfect. And the truth mm-hmm. is, what is perfection? It's what you make of it in your own mind what you think might not be perfect is is probably perfect in other people's minds you know you're your own worst enemy again <laughs> yeah and and actually what what she goes on to speak about um in much of her work is that that perfectionism is actually a cover story you're just terrified out of your mind and you're thinking of any excuse just to keep polishing away and not Take that step. Now, the other thing is just get it out there and embrace the good feedback. And you know what? If people don't like it, that's okay too. If people criticize you, that's okay too. You know, I know uh, a lot of people who have been creatively successful uh, look for actually tough feedback in the process from people that they, they trust to give them frank feedback. But then when they publish their work, they then don't read the reviews. They don't read all the comments on social media. A great example that comes to mind is Joe Rogan says, oh, I've, I've learned to stop reading comments about my show because it just, it just kind of twists you all up. Do your best job. Bring your authentic self to it. Get it out there. Enjoy good counsel from those that you trust and don't let the naysayers get you get you down because really what's happening when we're avoiding pressing the publish button it's just fear it's not perfectionism it's not like oh i can wordsmith it a bit more it's actually the truth to what elizabeth gilbert is saying is it's just plain old scared and don't give in to that feeling right yeah this this speaks so highly to you know moments in my career and my life where i've put off um, delivering something or put off certain actions because I'm just, yeah, terrified of that situation, not going how I planned it. Yeah. Um, it, and that could spread from delivering a pitch, uh, proposing to your partner, um, buying a house or, or doing something significant, doing something you've always dreamed of jumping out of a plane, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> because the fear of the product not being perfect, no matter what that product is, it could be just an experience. That's, that's a huge reason to not go out and expose yourself to that experience, isn't it? Yes. Yep. And a great technique that we learned from Dale Carnegie is to ask yourself, you know, what's the worst that can really happen? And this is a very good way of getting that transition from fear to excitement. And look, you know, let's say you wanted to write a screenplay and publish it or send it to some film companies or actors or directors, whatever. 
ask yourself seriously, like what, what's actually the worst thing that can happen? Let's, let's do a checklist uh, together, Matt. Let's say we co-wrote the Moonshots movie, all right? You with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely keen it's, on it's, making the Moonshots movie. <laughs> we have to work out whether it's going to be like sci-fi or, you know, I don't know, could it be a rom-com? I don't know. Okay, but it's the Moonshots movie. Now, if we spent a year writing this and then we sent that to a bunch of people and nobody, nobody responded. That's kind of like the worst thing that could happen, right? Yeah. A lack of any acknowledgement yeah. would be. No acknowledgement. Yeah. Like, like we sent it out. We, we, we even had people just send it back unopened, right? That's how yeah. bad it was. Okay. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Are you still alive in that situation? Are you still able to breathe? I, I am, you know. Yes. Do you still live in your house? I do. Are you able to enjoy the company of your partner and your friends and do you eat good food still? Yeah, none of that's changed. Huh. Not so bad, right? It's so funny, isn't it, when you break it down so practically? When you actually go through the exercise of just getting it out there and that the reward was in the craft and the process and you accept what the world's going to give you back and even if you dare to say, okay, what is the very worst that could happen here? Okay. You're still alive. You're still breathing. So you didn't die. So that can hopefully kind of get that, 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 that fear response down and help you go, okay, well, I wonder what happens if we write the sequel then. <laughs> maybe we have to write the prequel, Mark. I don't know. Maybe you can set the scene for, for the previous one. But the point here is it ain't that bad. It's really not that bad. And almost uh, I have been really guilty of this is like, you know, thinking it's some sort of life or death moment, but it's just getting it out there, right? Getting it out there and either receiving feedback from your trusted um, allies and your friends or, or not even sending it out maybe, you know, to, to the big wide public, just getting it done because then the deed and the adventure that you've gone on is, is so valuable to yourself because you've exposed new lessons to learn, new practices mm. to pick up and just adding to the pile. That's okay. It's okay to add stuff to the pile because at the end of the day, it's the first time you've done it. It's the first Moonshots podcast movie that's come out into the, into the ether. Mm. Yeah. I think that the, um, this moment of just get it out there. And like so many things these days, once you publish it, you can still fix it. If, if you realize there's something that you want to improve or you can do a follow-up and you know what, what's so beautiful is that Elizabeth Gilbert says, Hey, I wrote this Hollywood hit and the follow-up sucked. Yeah. And she's like, that's just what it is. And it, it was almost like the pressure was off. Right. She's like, okay, back to the drawing board. Away we go again. It's all right. Nobody's perfect. And what we're learning throughout Moonshots is it's all about embracing hardship, being resilient. And then we saw it with Einstein. We're seeing, seeing it here today with Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic, that it is stay the course, be authentic in your creative output, and it will feel good. And that's gift enough. And if it succeeds, cherry on the top of the cake, right? Cherry on the top of the cake. And Mike, if there's one consistent theme and thread that I've seen from Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic, it's this idea of just giving it a go and not being too obsessed or disappointed in the ultimate response or result. And this final clip from Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic, is actually all about not taking yourself too seriously. See, the martyrdom is all about this kind of sanctity that is so heavy that it will break you. And the tricksterdom is like, what if we don't have to treat this thing like it's a holy sacred relic? What if I turn, what if I like put sparkles on it? What if I, you know. <laughs> I get out my bedazzling. <laughs> right? What if I just get my glue gun and, and just, you know, like what if nothing's holy and everything's allowed? Um, that's what art has been asking for centuries, even 
holy, even sacred art has been asking. You know, even the Sistine Chapel has a bunch of little, like, winks from Michelangelo. Like, what if the Pope's not infallible? What if I, like, give him donkey ears? What if I, you know, like, there's always, like, this sort of playfulness that art wants to do. And all we want to do is take it so seriously that we kill it and often ourselves in the process. And so if you can learn how to dance with the trickster part of yourself, which is in you, because we all have martyr in us and we all have trickster in us, and um, and trust, that's the thing about the trickster, the trickster trusts the universe, trusts that if the trickster takes a ball, throws it into the universe, the trickster knows it's coming back. It might come back three years from now, it might come back in a hailstorm of like 20 balls, it might come back like in some really comic, strange way, but if you engage, there'll be a response. And the only thing the trickster wants to spend its life doing is playing with that sense of like, put it out there, see what happens. Put it out there, see what happens. And it's just a more fun way to live that isn't quite so heavy and isn't quite so macho. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the way that I've always wanted to engage with my work. And whenever I catch myself being the martyr, I'm like, are you falling for this? Yeah. <laughs> are you falling for this thing that says the only way that you can be creative is to suffer? Because you know better, right? And then we trick our way out of it. Yeah. You don't have to suffer. I think that's a that's a great message, but I would even go further and say what this reminded me of in this message from Elizabeth Gilbert is like, don't be like this martyr, don't be so heavy about it all, um, is you know how like great athletes, the greatest athletes often looked really relaxed mm. on the playing field because they're not taking it all too seriously. They're actually enjoying the moment because they move from fear to excitement because they're being very authentic, they're doing, they're, they're well prepared, they can just enjoy the moment and have a bit of a laugh and not be so wound up. I think like if if you're full of fear and 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 doubt, then when you're in the act of trying to do something creative, you're also rigid, right? But if you look at great athletes, it's such a great analogy because they're well prepared. They're in an excitement mode, not in a fear mode. They can have a laugh. They're not also tight and highly wound. I think this is a great invitation to us. Just breathe, let the tension go from the shoulders and just have some fun with your thing. I mean, it's what you love. It's what brings you joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction. So just embrace it, right? Just embrace it. Just going to have fun, whether your creative moment is, you know, at work or or in exercise or with your family, personal life, whatever it might be. That's what Elizabeth is inviting us to, to remember, Mike, isn't it? go out and just enjoy life because at the end of the day, who wants to be ruled by this, this fear, this fear putting us off going out to create a new idea, a new product. Instead, let's just go and have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> let's go and have fun. Let's go and learn out loud in totally. the process and, and just see what happens. Absolutely. So for you, Mark, we've covered a lot of ground from like bringing this unusual bed partner for creativity, fear into the process. We've learned what it takes to get it out, all to do with a wink and a nod, a little bit of the creative trickster. Which idea was the one that had you? Well, I think what is going to perhaps stay with me uh, as a new idea is originality. So it's okay to add to the pile. I think that's a pretty new insight to me, a new data point that I can that I can factor in and give myself permission to go and create, no matter if it's something that Picasso or, or Shakespeare's done before. Not that I'm grouping myself in with those two individuals, of course. But actually the the lesson that or the message that stood out to me today was the reminder of fear and excitement being mm. uh, uh, bed pals. Mm. This, this companionship between the two of them and how I can sometimes get them mixed up. That's a great reminder. Great. Yeah. Reminder. I, I would build on that and say, for me, it was like, it was just this, like, I am excited. You can literally smile, loosen up the shoulders and say, I'm really excited about this. And you can even hear it as I say it in my voice. You can, do you hear how the tone is different? Yeah. You it can just, hear almost like a, a, when you smile as yeah. you're talking, it makes a different sound, doesn't it? 
It does. It really, really does. What a great, great lesson we've had today in creativity and what Elizabeth Gilbert would call big magic, right? Yeah. A lot of practical, pragmatic advice, as well as things that just come down into our mindsets, Mike, things that we can start to remember from today onwards. Exactly. Well, Mark, thank you to you and thank you to you, our listeners, the Moonshotters who have joined us on this adventure to learn out loud together. And it's been so good because we definitely gave it a nudge today. We are really on the way to realizing our full potential. We are definitely in the world of creativity. So with show 143, we heard from Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic. And her story started with fear should not be stopping you from creating. In fact, you need to give yourself permission to create and importantly, to fail along the way. And don't get all stopped. Don't get all bunged up because fear is actually your companion. Fear is your new excitement. And ideas don't need to be limited to what's been done before. You can go beyond. Doing the deed is the actual reward. The gratitude is in the journey. The destination is just the cherry on top. So there you have it. You can explore your world of creativity if you don't take yourself too seriously and become friends with fear. Embrace the excitement and you'll be on your way to growing. You'll be on your way to becoming the best version of yourself. And that's what we're all about here at the Moonshots Podcast. That's a wrap.